Sunday, just before Resurrection Sunday, we celebrate Palm Sunday, which is named that largely because of the palm branches that were laid on the street in front of Jesus as he made his triumphal entry into Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover feast. And so this week, as we begin Holy Week, is a really special time in church history, special time around the world as people turn their focus and attention, uh, maybe uh, for the second most important time of the year uh, in our culture anyway, Christmas and, and Easter, Resurrection Sunday. I think that Resurrection Sunday really holds more punch and more power uh, than even the incarnation, but you can't have one without the other. It takes both. You see, the reason that Jesus came was on mission and for a purpose. And he fulfilled the mission and he secured that purpose for you and for me. Somebody say, that's good news. Turn with me to Mark chapter 11. I want us to read 10 verses and then I want to expound on these 10 verses this morning as we look at this triumphal entry and the events surrounding this moment. The gospel according to Mark chapter 11 says, Now, when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethphage, to Bethany, to Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it to me. Somebody say, Loose it and bring it to me. We'll get back to that in just a minute. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went on their way. They found the colt tied by the door outside the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, what are you doing loosing this colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded. So they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and he threw, and, and threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloths on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who cried out said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. There is a parallel uh, passage of this same rendering in Matthew chapter 2. In verse 2, it says, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. The message today is titled, The Lord has need of it. The Lord has need of you. Hosanna, the word Hosanna, means literally save now. And it's not even just an exclamation only, it's also a question. As they would cry, Hosanna to Jesus, they were saying, in essence, are you going to save now? Are you going to now set up the kingdom of our father David? Are you now going to help us to shake off the tyranny of the Roman oppression and the empire that has caused us to flee underground? Are you at this juncture going to save us from our political oppressors? And in America today, I believe that there is a very real cry in our hearts says, Lord, are you about to save us now? Or 
Should we look for a politician or should we look for Washington or some kind of great mediator to come so that we can be shaken free from the tyranny of all the governmental restrictions? Yes, that's what we need. We just need a better politician, right? We just need a a more aligned political party with the Bible and then we will have our savior, right? Save us now, Lord. Bring this great world leader that can unite all nations. Is this what you're in fact doing? And this was the cry of the heart 2,000 years ago when the people saw Jesus riding in on this colt. Is that they were so desirous of a literal physical kingdom being set up because they were sick and tired of politics as they knew it. Anybody just a little bit sick and tired of politics as we see it. Well, I'm here to tell you today that there is no alignment of a political party, that God is not a Republican or a Democrat, that there is no such thing as an answer from the White House that is going to solve all that ails us, but we can have an answer from God's house because when we align our hearts with God, we can say with them, save now, O Lord, save now. And he was indeed going to set up his kingdom. He was indeed going to initiate and inaugurate his kingdom come, but it was not, hear me, it was not going to look or feel the way that they anticipated. And if we're not careful, we can get right into their seat is that we can hope for some kind of easing in our day some kind of literal and physical way in which we can evade the problems of our life. And yet Jesus did set up his kingdom and he is yet coming as the king to set up his kingdom. I am looking forward to that day when he says, come unto me all that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. He's telling us that this day, but there's also coming a time when he's going to split the Eastern sky and Jesus is coming back just like he said, he will do it. But until that day, you and I have a mission. You and I have a task. We have a job to fulfill, and that is to occupy until he comes. Now, what does occupy mean? It doesn't mean to sit back on your laurels and just never get involved and never get engaged. There's this notion that Christians should not be engaged in culture. There's this notion that Christians should not be engaged in their political systems. There's this this, uh, easy to to tout uh, idea that the church has a separation between the state, but that is not in the constitution. That is not in our form of government. The only separation that the state has from the church is that the state cannot dictate what the church says, preaches, or does from these kinds of places. But if we only allow our voice to stay in these kinds of places, we are not influencing the culture for the cause of Christ. You see, the mission field is outside of these four walls. And Jesus set up his kingdom for something way bigger than just to overtake Rome. Rome was going to fall all by itself. It took a couple hundred more years, about 400 in fact, for it to finally dissipate. But here's what we can know. And we write these so eloquently in the songs that we have sung in the bygone eras of the church that kings and kingdoms will all pass away. But there's something about that name. The name above every name, the name of Jesus. And so as they sang Hosanna, as they cried out, they're saying, are you going to save now? They're asking him to save now. And then they're also questioning, is this going to happen? The children were praising and they actually broke the decorum of spiritual worship of their day. 
They were actually told to be quiet and, and stop making all the fuss with those palm branches. And, and what are you doing uh, exalting this Jewish carpenter as he's coming into town, this so-called miracle worker? And the religious elite were ready to sideline the children. But amazingly, like Jesus always does and flips the script on the religious crowd, is that Jesus, get this, he takes the side of the children. Amen. Suffer not the little children to come unto me, he said, for such is the kingdom of of God, And if you are going to, in your day and in your generation, praise God with reckless abandon, then there will be some people on the wayside who will criticize your praise. There will be some people who are with displeasure at the way that you express your exuberance in your worship for God. Now, listen, we don't go out of our way to offend people, all right? I'm not, I'm not trying uh, to to instigate a riot. I'm not trying to incite someone to be mad. But if in the process of declaring the full counsel of God, it offends some people, it, it hurts their feelings, it steps on their toes, then I say, so be it, because I would rather obey God than man. Amen. And so when we get a word from heaven, we offer with obedience that word Back to God. Now, there are some things in the text that I want us to draw out just briefly, and then I want to get to, to three points, and, and I, I want you to take away something from this message. The scriptures tell us that there was both a donkey and a colt that were to be brought to Jesus. And of course, he rode in on the colt. Now, I, I have to wonder why were the donkey and the colt brought? He was only going to ride one, but why did both of them need to be brought to Jesus? A donkey represents an animal of humility. It's a very passive animal. It will do what you want it to do. I mean, they are stubborn, but you, you can get them to do what you want them to do. They're very passive and humble. And that was the picture of what the Messiah was about to be. He wasn't going to go and challenge the Caesars and, and Rome and all the political infrastructure of his day. He wasn't going to topple their kingdom and their taxes and all of the things that were happening in the modern era back then, because he was coming meek and mild, sitting on a colt, an animal that had never been ridden before. A colt was pure. It was, it was young. It was tender. It was something that had a specific purpose for a specific time and may never, ever fulfill any other purpose other than carrying Jesus on its back. Would you be so willing to serve Jesus even if it's just for one purpose in your life? Would you be so willing as to be honored to have the Lord ride in with you even if it's just only one time and you're never known of again? No one ever sees your name published in the paper. No one ever sees you on stage or in the lights. This cult, it was willing to be an animal regarded as suitable for a religious purpose. And then the next thing that really stands out to me in this text is that the instructions Jesus gives is to untie both the donkey and the colt and bring them to me. Untying them means that they had to be unbound. They were bound at the post with a, a rope and a knot. They had to be unbound and brought to Jesus. You see, you nor anything you have is of any use to Jesus so long as it's bound. So long as you stay tied up, muzzled, bound, 
unable to move, unable to operate, you are of no use to the kingdom of God and to Jesus. Neither were these donkey and colt any use to Jesus until they were first unbound. What are some things in your life that needs to be untied, unbound, unfettered, so that you can freely operate and use them for God? I I can tell you right now that there are, are multitudes of gifts, of natural gifts, that people who are sitting in this room watching me online, that you have, you have amazing natural giftings and talents that are somewhat bound and you're not using them for the kingdom of God. You may be a really good accountant at work, but if, if you're not using those skills and those talents in the kingdom of God, then there is a binding of your natural ability that you could unloose and bring it to Jesus. You could be involved in something for the kingdom of God using your natural abilities in the working of ministry. It may never be taking a stage and going before a camera and and taking a microphone, but there are giftings and talents and abilities that need to be unbound among the people of God. There are also many of us that have spiritual giftings that we're just maybe a little bit shy or afraid of of unloosing, of, of untying, because we're not sure how that will operate in the church. We're not really familiar with how that will play out with other people. And so we keep our spiritual gifts and our talents tied up, bound, and then they're no use unto God. It's time to unloose some things for the Lord. Somebody say amen. Amen. Many of us have finances that are bound. They are bound to the government because the government takes them out of our check every single pay period. Before we ever get a chance to see that check, they automatically bind them and they take them. Some of our finances are bound to those that we have encumbered ourselves with with obligations to say, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. And there are some of us who we need to get to the place, a spiritual reckoning where we unbind, we untie our finances and we say, God, as much as it hurts and as much as I don't understand that I am going to loose this and I am bringing a portion of my finances unto you because here's what God's word tells us, that 90% with God's blessing will go way farther than 100% with your ingenuity. And we need to unbind these things that challenge us. And it was really something for these disciples of Jesus to go into this town and just simply to start untying another man's donkey in his colt. I mean, that's pretty bold, isn't it? It would be modern day, it would be theft, right? But that's what Jesus told them to do. Go and untie those animals and bring them to me. And then Jesus says this, And if anyone asks you why you're doing this, like Jesus anticipates that there's going to be a question about this. I can understand that the owner would want to know, hey, 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 what are you doing? That's my donkey. That's my colt. Don't untie them. I can understand the owner wanting to have that kind of dialogue with these people. But he goes on further. Jesus says, if anyone even standing nearby, even somebody who's just kind of a nosy neighbor is looking out and watching out for their neighbor's goods. Anybody, you got some good nosy neighbors? I'm glad, I'm glad I got some nosy neighbors. Like they want to know why did that truck pull up in your driveway for the fifth time today? And I say, don't worry about what I'm ordering from Amazon. It's none of your business. But I'm glad you told me. They already sent it on my ring camera. I already know it's there. But Jesus basically said, if there's any nosy neighbors standing nearby and they want to know why that you are untying this donkey and this colt, then all you need to do is give them one response. Now, I, I can't remember 10 things, but I'm pretty good with one. Can anybody remember one instruction? I mean, come on, if my wife gives me three things to get at the store, I'll probably get two. 
I'll get home and I'll forget one, but I can probably most of the time, honey, most of the time, I can get one thing, right? Jesus said you only had to give them one answer. If anyone asks you why you're doing this, respond this way. The master has need of it. The master needs this. You see, I'm on assignment with this donkey and this colt. It may look like theft, but I'm really just borrowing it. I'll return it. That's not in the text, but that's my version. I'm really on assignment and I cannot be deterred. I cannot sway away. I have to follow with obedience what I've been told to do. I'm taking it to the master. My question to you this morning is, what are you bringing to the master? What are you bringing to Jesus? In obedience, in humble submission, what are you and I bringing to Jesus? For one little boy, it was just some fish and loaves. He didn't have much. He didn't think that there was really a lot of significance to his pail of lunch that day, but Jesus took what was little and made it much. For a little shepherd boy, he looked over and he saw that there was a giant that was railing accusations against the armies of God. And he also was the lunch boy and he had brought his brother's lunch. And yet there was something of a holy boldness that rose up on the inside of him. And he said, who are you to defy the armies of the living God? And the giant said, boy, if you think you're something, come on out here and fight me. And so little shepherd boy, David looked down. He grabbed him five smooth stones And he went out to war with a mighty giant. He brought to the master his skill, his abilities, his confidence in what God has already done in the past. And he said, I already was able to overcome the bear and the lion with God's help. And you, Goliath, you enemy, you uncircumcised Philistine against the armies of God, today you will be slayed and you will lose your head. Little is much when God is in it. And that day he learned that God can take something that looks very insignificant in the eyes of the world and do something extraordinary with it. My question to you is, what are you bringing to the master today? They brought him a donkey. They brought him a colt. And he said, I'm going to now go into the city. I'm going to use these gifts and I'm going to prepare myself for the eventual death on the cross. You see, this donkey and this colt had a purpose of service. And when they fulfilled their purpose of service, we don't hear about them again. And so it is with many of us is that when God has fulfilled a function or a purpose in us, we feel as though, oh, we're just not mentioned again. We're not, we're not noticed, but no, your part is very vital. You have a role in the kingdom of God. There is something that if you don't do it, it may not get done. Now I realize that God can make the rocks cry out and praise. And so he don't need us, but thanks be to God, he chooses us as accepted in the beloved. And Jesus anticipated what their need was going to be. He even anticipated what others were going to say. And can I tell you today that nothing you are dealing with has taken God by surprise. 
He knows and he answers. He gives us these promises. The disciples were just about to experience firsthand the exact purpose of these two animals. And they were going to see an illustration of service that they had never experienced before. The washing of his disciples' feet and the crucifixion at Calvary. In order to fully appreciate what these animals were for, Jesus did something that we only see recorded in John's gospel. And that is that he stoops down with a servant heart and he washes his disciples' feet. Before the crucifixion, a time when he should be preparing himself for his most critical day, Jesus takes time out to serve his disciples. Here's some characteristics of service in the heart or what I call heart of service. Number one is a willingness to get involved. See, Jesus, after the Last Supper, he got up from the table. He got up, he tied himself with a towel, and he went down to wash his disciples' feet. There is a time to sit and soak, and there is a time to get up and serve. There is a time to sit back and let life kind of just go and meander along, and there's a time for us to engage. And let me tell you this, just because you hit the like button on social media does not mean that you have engaged. There are studies that have been going on for the last couple of years about activism in our world today, not only in our nation, but in our world. And there is this this, uh, mindset that if we simply like for a cause, if we simply comment or we share a post, then we have been engaged. And so what it has done is it has actually eroded our ability to really get involved and put boots on the ground and put money behind the efforts that we believe in is because now we have the guilt burned off that we have liked on something. And here's the, 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 the underbelly of media and social media. And that is you will get more in your feed of what you like. The algorithms are set up in such a way that you will start to have a confirmation bias because when you like something, you get more of that fed to you. And you start to feel like you've done something because now all of a sudden you're starting to see all these great posts of praying for Ukraine. But how many of us have actually consistently been praying for Ukraine? Now, I'm not being judgmental, okay? Uh, This isn't condemnation. What I'm saying is sometimes we think that we have done something when really we've done very little. But Jesus knew that there was a time to get up and his his heart of service was to get active and to get involved. Number two, a heart of service goes down before it builds up. It goes down before it builds up. Any tall building has to have first the digging of a deep foundation. These walls could not stand at the height that they are without a foundation. You can take a couple block and you can lay them on the ground on top of each other and the wind will likely not blow down those cinder blocks. But if you build them very high, maybe three or four or five up with no foundation, they will topple over at the smallest little thing. An animal can run into them and topple them over. But it would take a whole lot for these walls to fall. Why? Because there is a deep foundation that has first been dug, a footer and then a foundation. And I wonder how many of us in our service unto God are about an inch deep and a mile wide. 
We know a whole lot of things about a whole lot of things, and we've got an opinion about more than we think about. Amen. Somebody said, you get three Christians together, you got five opinions. That's about right. <laughs> but a deep foundation means that a heart of service, you go down before you build up. You go down before up. Jesus stooped down. It speaks of his humility. He washed the feet of his disciples. Listen, he washed the feet of 12 men. Even Judas was in that room. Jesus already knew what his eventuality would be. He already knew what Judas was about to do. And Jesus chose to wash the feet of disciples who were going to deny him, curse him, and run away from him. And yet he washed all 12 feet. That's amazing. That's grace. That's mercy. That's love. That's compassion. And some people stop just prior to mercy and grace. If we can start to see people beyond where they are and look at them through the eyes of Jesus, then our hearts will be different when we look at how we can engage with them. We can serve people better. Listen, if you knew everything that people around you thought and said about you, you probably would not be very inclined to serve them. Listen, don't come and tell me what somebody else said about me while I wasn't around. That's none of my business. They didn't tell me, they told you. And Jesus, even knowing that they were going to leave him, looked beyond the cross. He looked beyond the pain. He despised the suffering because he knew the greater purpose. If you could just know that those people who are difficult to deal with in your life, they are not simply a thorn sent to bristle you, but there is a deeper purpose, that there is a plan of God even working through the midst of their circumstances. And I know it's hard, family. Sometimes you've got to step back and you've got to let go and people have to make their own foolish decisions and make unwise choices and they have to fall headlong into the consequences, but you can still be there to walk with them through the briar patch. Anybody glad that someone was there for you when you were walking through the briar patch? Come on. He had to reach way down to rescue me. And I'm so glad that I didn't just get shared the gospel one time because I didn't get it on the first time. Some of you are fast learners. I didn't get it on the second try. I didn't get this thing on the third try. But time and time again of God's grace and his mercy reaching out to me, Finally, my eyes were open, the enlightenment of my understanding, and I said yes to the Messiah. And that's where you are. And love, here's what love does. It looks beyond my faults and it finds my need. The Lord has need of you. Now, it's, it's an interesting thing to say the Lord needs something because in one sense, God needs nothing, right? Right? He's almighty, but in his wise providence, he has, chosen, he has chosen to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. And that's me and that's you. He has chosen to place his treasure, get this, in earthen vessels. He uses the hands and feet of mere mortals, the mouth of just humans, to be the hands and feet of Jesus to another, offering someone a cool drink of water in his name, a word of encouragement 
a word in season to those who are weary. So you see, a heart of service goes down before it builds up. And number three, they're going to come and, and play for me, is that he has a willingness to get messy in order to make a difference. A heart of service has a willingness to get down in the dirt, to get costly with self-sacrifice. I'm sure that it cost Jesus something in his own humility to go and wash his disciples' feet. It cost him getting his hands dirty to wash these feet. And anytime that you're going to have a heart of service, that you're going to render a gift unto God, it will cost you something. The disciples, they felt uncomfortable with Jesus, their master, washing their dirty feet. Now, I can relate to that. We look at Jesus as high and lifted up, and now we worship him as king and savior. And the disciples are starting to get some of that. They knew he was teacher and rabbi and master. And yet here he is stooping down to wash their feet. In fact, they even protested and said, oh no, Lord, you don't need to wash our feet. We should be washing yours. And he said, listen, unless I can wash your feet, you have no place with me. You see, Jesus had the willingness to get into the mess of their lives to make a difference. And I'm here to tell you today that Jesus still is willing to get down dirty into the mess of your life so that he can make a difference. He wants to change you from the inside out. It's not about outward appearance and the way you look. God doesn't look at any of that. Yeah, I, I may be wearing a coat, but, but I don't need to because God doesn't look at outward appearance. God looks at the heart. It's what's on the inside that Jesus is interested in. And he's saying, today, will you be obedient? Will you give unto me and render unto me what I have asked? Don't miss verse six. It says that they brought him the colt. They brought him in obedience what he asked for. It was not an easy request. I'm sure in the back of their mind, they're thinking we could get arrested for this. This could be theft. What are people going to think? We don't have money to pay for these animals. Why is Jesus asking something so unreasonable of me? Maybe you feel like God is asking something unreasonable, something you cannot afford, something you cannot do. But verse six tells us that there is an obedience in the offering. There's an obedience of bringing unto God what he has requested. Will you do it? The Lord has need of you. He has need of your service. What an amazing opportunity. What a privilege to fulfill a need for the king of the universe, to bring unto the Lord something that nobody else can offer. Yeah, other people may have finances. Other people may have gifts. Other people may have talents. Other people have time. But I have something in my day and in my generation. You have something in the time that you have left to offer unto God. And the choice is yours. And my question in closing is this, how are you serving God presently in your generation? How are you serving God in your family? How are you serving God in your local church? If you are not serving, if you are not rendering unto the Lord something, then it's time to get started. On Palm Sunday, save now, Lord. He's saying, I'm waiting for you. God never moved. 
He's waiting for us. Let's all stand together. In a heart prayer unto God, let's offer to him our gifts, our talents, our abilities, our treasure. With hands lifted up, this is the universal sign of surrender right here. I surrender. I give unto you, Lord, what it is that you've asked. If you have never said yes to Jesus, if you have never made him savior and Lord, today is your day. You say, pastor, how do I do that? It's very simple. You have to ask. It's it's as easy as ABC. You have to ask and admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. You believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. And then you commit, ABC, you commit your life unto him. I'm gonna pray a prayer. You can pray something like this. Dear God, I come to you today just like I am, a sinner. I need a savior. I repent of my sin. I accept Jesus as the full pardon for my sin. I say yes to Jesus today. I will serve you all the days of my life as you show me how. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, we believe you're born again. And here's what you need to do. You need to tell somebody, let them know that you made the greatest choice, the greatest decision ever. And that is to follow Jesus.